News, Notes, and Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Bonds one home run away from history. And he swings! And there's a long one! Deep in the right center field! Way back there! It's gone! A home run! Into the center field bleachers to the left of the 421-foot marker. An extraordinary shot to the deepest part of the yard. And Barry Bonds with 756 home runs. He has hit more home runs than anyone who has ever played the game. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 30th. It's show number 38 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our weekly talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola, discussing the effects of home and away games on daily fantasy baseball games, what's wrong with Justin Verlander, and whether it will get better, and assessing prospects' ability to help a fantasy team. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com takes a look at a matchup of two top right-handers. San Francisco's Matt Kane visits the Cardinals' Michael Waka, And we have two southpaws, the Mets' John Neese, visiting the Phillies and Cole Hamels, as well as others. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler talks about how stable the current $40 earners really are. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of our Friday News and Notes edition, it's our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Dan Becker's Batting Buyer's Guide column this week looks at hard contact index drivers and dribblers players who are driving the ball or dribbling it and one of the names of the drivers really caught me a little off guard Nick that was San Diego outfielder Seth Smith. You know, Seth Smith has gotten off to a tremendous start he's hitting 309 a 309 batting average uh, and and has been higher than that through most of the season thus far looking very very good and so uh, one of the questions of course has been can Seth Smith keep this up what Dan Becker points out is that uh, Seth Smith is has a very strong hard contact index 127, which is at this point the highest of his career. So maybe this isn't what we're seeing is not entirely a fluke. He's hitting the ball very hard. His XBA is 5, real batting average 309, so that's not too far off. He's always had good power. At this point, his power index is 158, which is the highest of his career. Um, so what, what Dan Becker is saying is that Seth Smith could actually continue in the current path that he's on. With Seth Smith, it all depends on playing time. If he starts batting 240 or 250 again, as he has the last couple of seasons, he's not going to be worth a whole lot. If he keeps batting 300 and then begins to get regular playing time, then Seth Smith could really have a career year and come out as a decent fantasy player. I mean, we're not expecting huge things from Seth Smith, but here's a guy who could be maybe a $13, $14, $15 player by the end of the season. 
Well, he's around there right now for his value, but the BaseballHQ.com projections are saying eight or nine bucks, and it could be because there's a platoon issue here, Nick. There is indeed. I mean, Seth Smith generally doesn't play against left-handers, and he's going to have to play full-time, I think, in order to, uh, in order to justify um, higher, you know, higher stats. He's going to, to get the counting stats, he's going to have to be in the lineup a bit more. So he's going to have fewer runs scored, fewer RBIs, obviously, if he's only playing against right-handed pitching. But um, there's certainly the possibility he can work himself into pretty much a full-time role if he keeps playing as well as he has. Well, San Diego could certainly use some punch in their lineup, that's for sure. But he is going to have to improve his left his performance against left-handed pitching because it's costing him at-bats. He's been around 375 at-bats or so the last couple of years because of platoon issues. He's routinely 300 OPS points better versus right-handers than left-handers. He's going to have to pick that up. Uh, Dan Becker's column also looked at hard contact index dribblers, which is uh, apparently guys who are not hitting the ball effectively. And one of the surprises on that list was shortstop Ian Desmond of Washington. Well, Ian Desmond has been struggling. I mean, here's the, the guy right now is hitting 234. Uh, he's been hitting with good power. He's got nine home runs. But but uh, that batting average is a little bit scary at this point. And, uh, and what Dan pointed out is that, that uh, Ian Desmond does not have a very good hard contact index. At this point, only at 84. Uh, the result is that he's, he's swinging and missing a lot. His contact, his actual contact rate is down because he's not hitting the ball very hard. His, his PX has not been bad. He's been getting some balls over the fence, but his XPX is down and his ground ball rate is up uh, because he's, he's hitting more dribblers. So he's been doing pretty good when he can get the ball in the air, but not getting the ball in the air as much as you'd like him to. Um, we were, we were, would like to see a, uh, uh, right now about a 39% fall, fly ball rate. Been a little better the last month, but... What, what Dan Becker was saying is that um, the problem here could be that Ian Desmond may wind up uh, not improving much from where he is. I mean, he's got a kind of a, a little bit of a low hit rate, a 28% hit rate, uh, so a little bit of bad luck in there, but he may not improve much. No, he might not. His first regular season, I was looking, Nick, uh, he had a 79% contact rate, and that's as high as it's ever been. It's trended steadily downward to just 71% this year. That's a lot of strikeouts, and that doesn't augur well for either uh, his batting average or his RBIs. And at the same time, he hasn't been much of a fly ball hitter. He did have 25 home runs a couple of years ago, 20 last year. Of course, those are good numbers, but he's doing that despite a fly ball rate in the mid-30s. You're usually looking for a power hitter, for a home run hitter to get it, uh, more fly balls up in the 40%, 45% range. He's at 39 this year, but that's still pretty low for a player looking to hit home runs. It's not, and right now his, his expected batting average XBA is 227, which is, is, is uh, very, very low for Ian Desmond. So, uh, you know, we, we talk about guys, since the time of year, we talk about our guys going to improve, are they going to stay where they are, is this a fluke? Ian Desmond looks like he may not be a fluke. He may wind up, instead of hitting 290, 280, as he has the last couple of years, maybe closer to 230, uh, and in that, in that regard would certainly be a lot less valuable. Baseball HQ is projecting a 254 batting average the rest of the way, leaving uh, Ian Desmond at 248 for the season with 15 more home runs. Altogether, it shapes up to a $17 to $19 season, but which isn't bad, but they're are some worries about that batting average, as you mentioned, and it's not going to help your team much, and there's room for it to get even worse. So be careful about Ian Desmond. Uh, let's turn to some pitchers, Nick. Stephen Nickrand, our fine starting pitcher buyer's guide columnist, 
was looking at some deep league pickups, and the first name that jumped off the list was uh, Josh Beckett, of course, who maybe got himself a little higher on everybody's radar with a no-hitter this week. Yeah, Josh Beckett probably jumped out uh, out of the uh, under-the-radar category after the no-hitter, but but uh, what Stephen was pointed out is that Josh Beckett is really uh, pitching very, very well. Um, you know, you, you look at some of the, at a guy like Josh Beckett and think, ah, you know, he's never going to be what he once was. And I think that's true. Uh, you, you don't look at Josh Beckett now and expect him to be a, a number one top tier starter, but he's still a very solid pitcher. 8.4 Dom, 3.2 control, 3.48 expected earned run average, a 2.43 real earned run average. He can do a lot of good on a lot of teams as long as he's not your a starter. If you think about Josh Beckett as a number four, number five starter, he's really pretty good. Uh, and so I think Stephen's right. A, a guy to keep an eye on in a deep league if he's still out there. Probably the no-hitter ended is still being out there. But um, certainly a guy worth picking up. Some owners are going to look at the no-hitter and see a fluke. So certainly Beckett might still be a buying opportunity in your league. And if he's available, I think you need to take a look. We should say that Baseball HQ is not projecting the second coming of Greg Maddox here. Projected $2 for the rest of the season on a 4 ERA, 125 whip. Five or six wins might help. I guess the advice here, Nick, is take a good look, but don't rush to buy. I think you're right. Certainly a guy worth looking at, but again, not somebody, especially given his age, that you want to jump on immediately. And finally, Stephen Nickran's deep league look also mentions a pitcher that will really come as a surprise to many people, a Milwaukee pitcher, Mike Fires. A name from the past almost, you know. I mean, two years ago, Mike Fires pitched very well in Milwaukee. 3.74 ERA, 114 BPV, looked really very, very good a couple of years ago. In the last season, did not start off well, broke his arm, Missed most of the season. And, and, and so at this point, is certainly flying under the radar if he's even on anybody's radar uh, after last year. But, and, and, you know, and again, Mike Fires is not a young guy. I mean, I think he's, what, 29, 28, 29, something like that. So no longer a prospect. But what Stephen pointed out, he said that Mike Fires, I'm, I'm going to read exactly what he wrote here. Mike Fires is arguably has been the most dominant pitcher in the minors so far in 2014. And if that decision doesn't make you stop and go, whoop, wait a minute, I'm missing something here, it should. 78 strikeouts to 7 walks in 55 innings pitched at AAA Nashville. That's like, if the guy were 21 years old, you'd be all over him at every single league uh, that's out there because this looks like a top prospect. Well, Mike Fires is beyond a top prospect. He's already proved he can do it once in the major leagues. So certainly a guy worth looking at. Uh, if you take a look at what's been going on at AAA Nashville, let me, just a minute, I had that a minute ago, let me bring it up. Take a look at it. He's pitching very, very well. A 2.48 ERA, six, six wins, two losses. Uh, that those huge strikeout numbers now up at 85 strikeouts and only seven walks. Um, so pitching very, very well at AAA Nashville, and probably will be the first person to get a call once there is a vacancy in the Milwaukee rotation. Uh, so I, I think a guy that's worth putting on your radar and keeping an eye on uh, because he's proven he can do it in the big leagues and he's doing it again in the minors this season. I understand all of that, Nick, but you know, when I look at Mike Fire's history in the majors the last couple of years, I see a kind of cautionary tale. Got some high line drive rates there, dominance rates, declining strikeouts per nine. You know, I think that what this is is a case where it depends on your team context. If you really need to try to find some lightning in a bottle, Mike Fires is the kind of guy you might throw a desperation heave to a Hail Mary, but if you're team is in any kind of decent shape, Mike Fires is the kind of guy best avoided. 
It may be, and certainly he's a guy that's going to stay under the radar. Given his age, given the fact that he's already had major league experience, uh, he's probably not somebody you need to jump on right away. But if he gets a call up, he's the kind of the guy, a kind of guy that uh, you might look on and think, yeah, he could do me some good at some point uh, before this season's over. All right, Harold Nichols, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch you again next week. All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes pitcher matchup reports for BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League, and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, PD. How you doing this week? Doing fine, thanks. Doing fine. Uh, I guess uh, Boston has been struggling of late in the American League. They've won their last four, but they had ten in a row without a win before turning it around a little bit, and they've started to make some changes. Of course, they signed Stephen Drew last week, and more recently they started overhauling their rotation. Uh, Felix Dubrant and Clay Buchholz go on the DL. Brandon Workman gets a slot, and apparently they're bringing up Ruby De La Rosa to take Buchholz's slot. Uh, Matt Dodge has been covering a lot of this in playing time today. What are we seeing going on in Boston? Well, it's kind of interesting. This is the time of year when if you're not playing too well, and like you've you've noted, Boston hasn't been... You start making changes for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Dubron apparently, what, slammed a car door on his shoulder? Is that what we're hearing? I don't know how you do that. And Buckholz has just been atrocious. With these guys pitching badly, you're just looking for ways to get them out of the rotation. And Boston has a lot of talent in the minors. It's been up and down. It's flashed good and bad over the last year and a half. Um, It'll be interesting because these guys are going to get an opportunity to actually stick. And... De La Rosa is one of those guys. I actually liked De La Rosa prior to his Tommy John surgery, but since then he has been up and down with intermittent control issues. And same as this year, he started out very well in the minors. Uh, then he had two or three games where he walked more than a batter an inning, I think. Um, and now he's back to uh, to not walking as many and striking out a lot of hitters. Um, he's a big talent. Uh, if he can control himself, if he if he can manage his control he has a chance to stick in the rotation. Boston has some other guys that the scouts like, uh, some people like, um, Anthony Ronaldo and Alan Webster. Yeah, and, and Ray Murphy also likes Brandon Workman, who has who has pitched well in Boston in 11 innings. He's pitched poorly in the minors. Uh, he's he's the guy who's taken to Bront's place. And you're right, if those guys don't come through, um, you've, got Alan Webst- you've got Alan Webster and uh, Anthony Renato, both of whom, like the other two, have been up and down in the minors. Um, but these guys have talent, uh, and they're going to get opportunity. It's just a question of whether they can take advantage of it. The unfortunate part of that, uh, Jock, is that it, it seems like nowadays, if you're playing fantasy baseball, you don't get a chance to watch these guys work before you have to make a move. So many leagues have daily moves. You have to make your decisions quickly on guys like Workman and, and Ruby De La Rosa, if and when he gets recalled. It's, uh, it's really tough, and it's much more of a gamble than it used to be when you had you know, a chance to at least watch the guy for one start or at least, you know, see him on the field before you had to make a call. Now you got to make that call a lot more quickly. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the age-old question, uh, PD. I mean, take a look at a guy like Colin, Colin McHugh, who's looking like Cy Young now with Houston. He was pitching okay in the minors, but his previous major league experience had just been dreadful. There was there was nothing that suggested he was going to do as well as he had with he has with Houston and now he's considered an untouchable there. I know it's it's weird how quickly it changes and how 
quickly we have to make those decisions. And of course, if you decide wrong and you grab the guy and slap him into your rotation and he goes out there and he's clearly not ready and he gives up six earned runs in three innings, it's, uh, it's, it's very tough and it really puts the onus on figuring out uh, which prospects are going to do well as quickly as you can. Uh, Cleveland has taken a hit from the injury situation as well. They put Carlos Santana on the DL with some concussion symptoms. Nick Swisher's on the DL. And that looks like it's going to be good news for Lonnie Chisenhall and uh, Jesus Aguilar, who got recalled. Tom Kephart looked at all of this on Playing Time Today last Wednesday. What gives? Yeah, it's interesting. These are also two names that are struggling, just like the Boston uh, pitchers, Dubront and, and uh, Buckles that we mentioned. I'm not putting into question the actual injuries that these guys have, but boy, both of them can use a timeout, and now they've gotten it. Um, Chisenhall is a guy that, uh, that I've always liked. Um, but he's always disappointed me. Every, every time I've watched him, he's had a great swing. He's had a lot of um, patience and uh, pitch selection problems. But if you look at his numbers this year, his his walks are up a tad. The real interesting thing is he's making a lot of hard contact. He's hitting a lot of line drives. His line drives are up near uh, are up at the thirty percent mark, and um, his hard contact index is one hundred and nineteen, which is which is pretty good to date. He's hitting three fifty eight with an expected batting average of 292, so he's being helped a little bit by the hit rate. Um, Aguilar um, hasn't played. He, he was up a, for a little while before. He was two for 11, I think. This was a guy who was red hot in April. He's cooled down a little bit in, in, in May in AAA. He's a guy who has shown a lot of potential recently, a lot of power, good patience. It's going to be real interesting to do to see what he does with his opportunity. All of that said, uh, again, we return to the, geez, i got to make a decision right now kind of situation. But Santana's concussion looks like a short-term thing. Swisher's mysterious injury looks like it might just be, as you said, a chance to get him off the roster for a little while and let him get his head straight. These guys are going to be back fairly quickly. So even if Chisenhall or Aguilar do well, there's... It seems like a path for them to to get back to the bench or even back to the minors once the big boys come back from the DL. Yeah, it's real interesting here because Cleveland has been struggling, and those guys particularly have been struggling offensively. Um, My take on something like this is that that if either of these players get hot, uh, Swisher and maybe even Santana may scuffle initially to get all of their at-bats back. uh, Anyone who hits nowadays is going to find a way to play. Moving on to Kansas City, boy, there's a disappointing team all the way around. So, so much high hopes for them coming into this year. Looked like they had finally got that franchise going, and they just can't hit. But in the meantime, a lot of people were also looking at Kansas City for the uh, development of Jordano Ventura, a very exciting pitcher, approaching 100 miles an hour despite a relatively small frame. Hey, guess what? Shut down with an elbow issue. Uh, Mike Shears looked at this in playing time today. What's the outlook for Jordano Ventura, and who's going to replace him in the rotation? Well, it's interesting because uh, Matt Gelfand actually wrote up a fact fluke on Ventura um, this past Monday, and it was pretty instructive. Um, he's talked about his terrific season. It's backed up by good BPIs. But as Matt noted, almost prophetically, the biggest threat to Ventura's value is his durability, and we're seeing this play out now. Obviously, few of us understand anything about the valgus extension overload quote-unquote, in Ventura's elbow. But it can't be good, particularly given the parade of elbow injuries that we've seen already. Um, if, if you're expecting Ventura to be as effective going forward as he has been to date, obviously that's that would be a mistake. Valgus Extension Overload sounds like the title of a Yes album from about 1979. 
it, yeah, it's a, it's it's interesting. I'm sure Rick Wilton, Doctor HQ, could tell us something about it, but uh, I would expect him to miss more than the initial start that they're thinking he'll miss. And if he comes back, uh, um, boy, I I sure wouldn't be basing my championship run on him right now. Well, the, the valgus extension overload is actually, it's serious and it's no laughing matter. It's been linked to Tommy John type uh, problems with the uh, uh, ulnar collateral ligament. The, um, the overload is the result apparently of bones in the elbow mashing together when a pitcher throws a fastball. It creates bone chips, it creates bone spurs, and it does cause some cartilage damage in the elbow. And Jordano Ventura has already been through Tommy John once. This is definitely not good news. And I'm wondering, Jock, do you think this is a situation? There's been some research reports of late that say guys who throw really hard are more subject to problems with their ulnar collateral ligament and to likely to get Tommy John surgery. Could Ventura be a guy who's going back for number two? Yeah, I, I, I think there is too much uh there's too much noise around that to um to dismiss it. I think um some of these guys obviously are just throwing too hard for their own bodies. This is a guy who maintained his velocity in the mid high nineties throughout most of his games and um I I wouldn't I I sure wouldn't uh, dismiss him him for another surgery. The team said that they're going to try to teach him not to throw at full velocity all the time in every game to become more of a pitcher than a thrower, in other words. And apparently Ventura's uh, gone along with that as a philosophical thing. It remains to be seen whether he can do it when he's actually standing out there on the field. Now the other issue is. Is it possible that they're going to say, look, you can't throw nine innings twice a week or nine innings every five days or seven innings or whatever it is? And then maybe, and this has been reported in some of the Kansas City media, they might be looking at putting Ventura into the bullpen. Yeah, I think you have to consider that, either bullpen work or really abbreviating his starts. And on the latter count, uh, Kansas City still has a pretty decent pen. So um, that's it's definitely an option. And maybe they could use the depth of their bullpen to try to trade for something that they need, because heaven knows they need a lot. Uh, both you and I looked around all over the internet trying to find out who was going to take Ventura's spot in the rotation when it rolls around on May 31st. And the answer is the best we could find was to be determined, according to MLB.com. Ventura himself actually shows up on a few um, probable pitcher lists as going to start his next start, which of course he is not. And uh, the Kansas City Star reported that the team is looking at internal options, including Aaron Brooks and a guy called Sugar Ray Merriman. Have you ever heard of any of these guys? No, I don't. But I'm 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 all for Sugar Ray. We need we need more Sugar Rays in baseball. Yeah, yeah, that 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 would be good. Uh, Sugar Ray Merriman, folks, keep that name in mind. Uh, Minnesota Twins also struggling with the bat. Uh, got Oswaldo Arcia back from the DL and the minor leagues. Josh Willingham's back from the DL. He had a home run his first or second game back. And they sent down Chris Herman and Chris Colabello. Remember, it wasn't that long ago when we were asking, is Chris Colabello for real and how long can he keep up this RBI pace? They're both down in the minors, according to uh, Shears, Mike Shears playing time today on Tuesday and Bob Berger on Wednesday. So what's the outlook for Arcia and Willingham now that they're back and where's the playing time going to be distributed? Well, those two are going to play, and, and they've already started all the games since they've been back. Um, in fact, they both started a hit as well. They both hit home runs. Um, Arcia seems to be over his wrist issues. He was really killing it in AAA. Willingham uh, had two hits, including a home run on Thursday, so he seems to be in a groove. Um, 
the twins are loaded with these um, big slow corner outfield um, DH types. It's it's part of their roster construction problem. Neither are are very good defensively, but neither are the guys they're replacing. Obviously, Colabello's in the minors. He's lost time. Herman is down. You're you're going to see Kubel eventually lose time at DH unless he can hit a little better than he has. Um, Chris Parmalee is also a loser, which is kind of a shame given that he was starting to hit a little bit. Um, but um, if 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 Arcia and Willingham are available in your leagues, I would go after them because they, they seem to be big good bets to get playing time. Yeah, just as long as you're willing to take a batting average hit from Arcia, he's uh, he's a big swing and miss guy. If I remember, he's on one of my teams, and if I remember correctly, I don't think his contact rate was over seventy percent. I think it was in the high 60s, 69 percent. That's a lot of striking out, and a lot of striking out usually means poor batting average and limited RBIs, and that's that's the possibility for Arcia, even if he does hit 15, 16 home runs between now and the end. Yeah, he's got a big swing. I watched him a little bit yesterday. Um, he actually um, hit 300 a lot of his time in the minors, but again, that was the minors. Um, I think his upside here in the majors is probably 270 with a lot more downside, as you've suggested. Years ago, Jock, I had in my farm roster in my American League-only home league a pitcher in the New York chain called Dellen Betances, and eventually I had to let him go off my roster because he just wasn't getting very much done this year. Boy, I wish he was on my roster because he's had an outstanding start. He got covered twice at BaseballHQ.com in different pieces, playing time today with Matt Dodge. And Stephen Nickrand looked at him in a speculative starting pitcher's buyer's guide column saying, Batances might have rotation potential. What do you say about that? Well, it, it was interesting. And uh, realizing this piece was speculative and uh, going on the theory that anyone with as good a stuff as Batanza should always be thought of as a rotation first guy. I'm going to disagree a little bit with Steven. Um, Batanza is already 26 years old. As you know, when you had him in the minors on your on your minor league roster, he was a starting pitcher throughout his career until last season, and his biggest problem was control, and he also had a little bit of a problem staying healthy. And control even remains his issue now. His strength is power stuff. And I guess, uh, you know, given given how successful he's been this year, why would you want to mess with something like that, uh, given his past? Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Wade Davis. Wade Davis has never been able to transition to a starting uh, role yet. As a reliever, he's just lights out. I think Patances stays as a reliever. And I think at some point he's going to be a closer if he can stay healthy. Yeah, to me, that's the more interesting speculation is that uh, David Robertson has been okay replacing Mariano Rivera, but uh, doesn't strike fear in anybody's heart, I don't think, based on his results so far. And uh, and Batances has been really terrific in the relief role that they finally realized might be his forte. Uh, Dellen Batances could make a really good speculative pickup in keeper leagues or dynasty leagues, don't you think, as a potential closer and the kind of guy who in the meantime isn't going to kill you? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was interesting. Uh, Batances was the subject of two of our pieces on Monday. Um, playing time today, Matt Dodge was talking about how they're a little bit worried about his workload, which if, if you look at his, his current trajectory, he could, he could hit 90 innings. I'm sure they're going to slow him down. They're using him so much because he's so good. Um, obviously that kind of a talent I would want to preserve if I were the Yankees and I would try to give him uh, a little more time off. But uh, I agree with you. He's he's one of the most uh, interesting arms uh, I've seen coming out of the pen in a long time. In fact, we talked about Wade Davis. 
Both him and Wade Davis, uh, to me, are, are two very good speculative bets for closer going forward, and I would be jumping on those if they're available in your keeper league. Interestingly, in his 20, age 25 year last year at Squ- uh, Scranton Wilkesbury at AAA for the Yankees, they appeared to make a transition for him. They put him into a, a relief role at AAA. He finished 11 games, got five saves, and his uh, earned run average was only 268 after having been in the sixes and fives as a starting pitcher. And he got his whip down from the 1.8 kind of area all the way down to point. 12 or so which is which is really good and he's his dominance rate his strikeout rate shot up from 8.5 to 11.5 as soon as they got him more in that relief role it looks like this might be the kind of situation as often as the case a guy who struggles as a starter but has just that right mix of of dominance and command in short runs that makes him an ideal relief pitcher and a good bet to be a closer yeah i agree uh his power stuff uh and coupled with uh Probably uh, just a little bit of lack of con- control is is pretty perfect for the bullpen. I'm I'm a believer in Dellen Batances. His his biggest issue for me right now is staying healthy. The one thing I'd like to look at, if it was possible to find out, is what his splits are as a starter and a reliever in the minors. And I will look into that because Dellen Batances has me curious. I have to say, Jock, thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Okay, PD. Thanks. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and writes regularly for the site. He's also our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd is next. Todd Zola coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun. So have more fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. One-month games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full-season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups and hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, with one-month fantasy games at ChandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler. The entry deadline for our June leagues is this Sunday, June 1st at ChandlerPark.com. You can play for as little as 9 bucks. one-month fantasy baseball. More drafts, more pennant races, more often. Give it a try. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Ray Murphy shines the facts and flukes spotlight on his in-depth look at Phil Hughes of the Twins. Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, looks at Carl Crawford, Clay Buchholz, Carlos Santana, and all the many others who are finding their way to the DL. And Ron Shander looks at projectable chunks of player stats in his Fanalytics column. Plus, we have all our regular features, daily analysis of changes in playing time, performance validation in facts and flukes, and our buyer's guide, pitcher matchups, and much more. It's all on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, Chandler Park, ESPN, Fantasy Alarm, Masters Ball, and others. Todd, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Really great to be back, Patrick. Let's start with a column you wrote at FantasyAlarm.com recently. We're talking about daily fantasy baseball again. It's certainly a very popular 
part of the game and getting more popular all the time. And you talked about something that seems like we should be paying very close attention to, the effects of home games and away games. Right. Uh, we took I took a look on a two day short a short two day series, looking at pitchers and hitters skills home versus away. That's something to be you know to be honest that Gene McCaffrey has talked about in the past in reference to the CDN games, where you try to look for the same sort of edge as far as short term possibility of an incre- increased performance. So I looked at it for the daily games, and you know sure enough. Finding that players' skills, whether they be because the, the, the player's skills themselves or umpire bias or, or whatever, but the, the players' skills metrics are certainly better for home games than they are away games. How much better, and then how do you apply that knowledge? Well, it varies, it varies by stat. Uh, they're somewhere between 3 and 6% better, depending upon whatever stat it is we're looking at, which might not seem like a lot. But especially with the daily game, you're not necessarily trying to you project a player to, to perform. You're not looking for the player to do that. You're looking for players that can do better than that for the daily game on that particular day. You're looking for players that can you know have a really, really good day. And any edge that you that the possible edge could translate into a larger edge. So, Using a player at home, you have a better chance of this player, you know, really doing really well. I mean, the projection, you know, 0.34 home runs. Well, no one hits 0.34 home runs, but the better chance of hitting a home, the, the higher percentage, you know, when you get one home run. Uh, so, you know, you, there's a better chance of hitting a home run at home than you, you want the home power hitters, you know, all things considered when you're a, a tie. But walks and strikeouts in particular – uh, kind of interesting to me that uh that that a, that a player strikes out fewer times at home and, and walks more times. Again, this is where the umpire bias might come in, or just be since you score more runs at home, pitchers might pitch more carefully, or they may be going from the stretch more because more runs are being scored or whatever. But these are actually scored scoring stats in daily fantasy. It, you get points for every time you walk, you lose points for every time you strike out. So not only does it matter in an overall projection, but it, it matters for scoring stats, which maybe isn't necessarily true for rotisserie. So if I have a daily projection and I know a batter is going to strike out fewer times than his you know, global overall statistics, we just lower the amount of expected strikeouts that day on the granular basis, and it, it helps improve his points projection for, for a home game. This raises, I haven't looked at this at all, so this raises a couple of interesting questions for me. First of all, if you have a player whose home park is a really tough hitter's park, a power hitter of sorts, say a guy like Seth Smith talked about earlier in this edition of the show, he's a power hitter in a non-power hitter's park in San Diego. Is he better off power stats-wise in San Diego because it's home than he would be, say, in Houston where it's a much more friendly hitter's environment, but it's the road for him? That yeah, it, it's, it's all, you have to break it down to that level, and that's what, what you have to do in the daily game. And can, you can also factor in on a granular level the pitcher that he's facing, the, uh, the, the effect of the a better pitcher versus a worse pitcher, fly ball pitcher, Versus a ground ball pitcher. Yeah, the, the data that I did, it's I basically consider things park neutral, just because over the course of a season everything's going to even out by definition. Uh, 
a park factor of 100, it might be, you know, it's just a neutral park. So if you add all home and away games, it has to sort of just even out and flesh out to, to zero. And the difference, though, is in, in order on the daily projection, I first make the adjustment based upon the data I'm talking about, <clears throat> the skills data, and then I'll make a second adjustment based on park. So everything is distilled down to a neutral projection. So then, it, then it's just a matter of seeing which has a greater impact, the home advantage of a player in X park versus, you know, the way another player being away in Y park, where the, you know, the away park is a better hitters park than the home park. Fortunately, we, you know, we have some ex spreadsheets to help us out and do all this for us. But that's sort of what, you know, what the spreadsheet is doing. It's, it's doing the individual adjustments and deciding for us which advantage or disadvantage, you know, is the one to use to choose your players that day. And then, of course, like I said, the other factor being the opposing pitcher, because sometimes that swings the pendulum one way or another. Uh, I think that the parks at the extremes will supersede the home away uh, advantage, but a lot of parks are, you know, when it's close, then the home away ends up being the, uh, the deciding factor if the player's skills are, are similar. Has anybody ever been able to figure out why batters perform better, why players in general perform better in their home parks? Is it just as simple as home cooking? I think there's some home cooking involved. I think there's some familiarity involved. I think that you're not you're not putting uh well baseball players aren't, you know, 6 foot 5 basketball and football players, but you're still not flying, you know, sitting yourself in a in an airplane seat for several hours and sleeping in a in a hotel bed that you that's uncomfortable eating on the road and that sort of thing. I think there's some, you know, familiarity with your environment, being home, being able to talk to your kids and not have to call them on the phone and worrying about them long distance and, and that sort of thing. Family, you know, we forget, forget a lot of these guys are family, have families and that sort of thing. Uh, I, so I do think there's a, a particular comfort level. You're, you're getting your regular rest and, you know, when you're on the road, especially if you're on the, if you're on the West Coast, you're, you're playing at, you know, 10 or 11 in the morning a lot of times. And I think that that sometimes is a, that's something that we talk a little bit more about in football than, than baseball necessarily, but, uh, I think all these factors add up and I, there might be, there might be some umpire bias. I don't think it, with, with, with the, the way that the umpires are judged nowadays, it's at least in theory, uh, lesson, but I think it's still, it's still a lot harder to, to, to ring up your, your star at home than it is to ring them up at, on the road or, or give the, the, the good pitcher, the, the borderline pitch at home. That it does in the road, so I think there's a little bit of that, and we as that all that sort of the, the domino effect too, because anytime there's a runner on base for whatever reason, the pitcher's now going from the from the stretch, and the pitcher's skills are weaker from the stretch. So I think it's a, a sort of a combination of things, and it's not huge, but there's enough of a difference there that it's actionable. I think the uh, umpire bias is a really big part of it uh, and may even be understated. Uh, even though they are being monitored more closely with the camera systems and what have you that are identifying who's not calling balls and strikes well, um, I think the 
those stats, when Major League Baseball looks at them, are going to be aggregated necessarily, and they're going to say, oh, here's a guy, uh, this this umpire in, in general is calling balls and strikes with 85% accuracy or whatever the case might be, still doesn't allow for the fact that when they break it down into home calls versus away calls, that pit, that umpire could be really quite biased in either direction as long as his aggregate was uh, normalized because he was equally biased in the other direction when the roles were reversed. Uh, you said something I thought was pretty interesting there, and it had to do with having to sit in an airplane for a couple of hours or four hours, fly cross-country or partway across-country, get off an airplane, and then face a guy throwing 90-mile-an-hour fastballs at you. And I'm wondering, have you ever looked at the performance of players on the day they traveled, if they happen to have traveled and played the same night or the next night? So uh, I think that might be interesting to determine whether the home field advantage is lessened to any extent when a player has to come in and play having played the night before in Miami. I haven't looked at that. I know there are those that have, and I actually don't know the results. It's sort of on my, I've got a folder on my, you know, my my hard drive that says, you know, get to this eventually. Uh, They do, the studies will even have first day back from a road trip when, you know, you're at home, but it's the first day back. So maybe you haven't assimilated yet. Right. And they'll have, you know, the last couple days on a road trip. You know, I, I, is your mind wandering? You want to, you know, I go already halfway home, that sort of thing. So I, I know it's out there. I have not yet to do it. Uh, now that I'm getting a little bit more into the daily games, it is something that I do want to do because I think you can gain an edge if you know what player falls into that particular class on that particular day. I haven't necessarily worried about it. On a year-long basis, on our standard rotisserie games, because it's sort of we're looking for a uh, you know seasonal performance, and it all kind of right. comes out. It's a wash. It's all built into the numbers, but that's out there. I have not yet embarked on that journey, but it is something that once I do some other projects, get some of those out of the way, it is something I definitely want to look at. I think it needs to be looked at as well. Uh, it's Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, talking with Todd, Todd Zola from BaseballHQ.com and ChandlerPark.com and ESPN and everywhere else on the uh, fantasy baseball web uh, landscape. And Todd, uh, the Baseball HQ Forum is always an interesting place to look for people trying to figure out uh, interesting questions. And one of the questions that's been really hot on the Baseball HQ Forums the last couple of days is what the heck is going on with Justin Verlander? and whether Justin Verlander is going to get back to being Justin Verlander. Right, yeah, I saw that, and I sort of have a somewhat vested interest in that, mainly because I'm about to shake up one of my teams and looking for some buy-low candidates, and he's sort of, a, you know, in theory, a prime buy-low candidate. So I ha- I've been reading that thread uh, with my interest peaked to see what some other people think, and because you got to figure they think like your league thinks and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I've been following it and did a little bit of uh, research on my own, or, or not research on my own, but what I do is you know, I, I look for other people's opinions on the matter as, as well as mining the data on my, myself and found a nice little piece on fan graphs. And uh, it's, it, it's sort of, if you, we read the threads, you know, HQ pitching specialist Stephen Nickran gave a lot of interesting information this sort of builds upon that as to what might actually be happening with uh with mr verlander and uh the article is it's on fangraphs i won't repeat the whole thing you know it's uh to give 
credit where where credits due. It's 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 by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. But the conclusion there, and I think this is pretty interesting, was it, it's somewhat arbitrary. But if you take the cutoff of ninety five miles an hour, and you take a look at the outcomes on pitches over ninety five and the outcomes on pitchers under uh, pitches under ninety five. In a vacuum, the outcomes are the same as they've been in years past. The difference being he's just throwing fewer pitches over 95 so that, you know, the outcomes under 95 are worse and he's throwing under 95 more. So the total aggregate outcome is worse than it has been in the past. So then the question becomes, is he ever going to throw over 95 again or is he going to be able to get better when he throws under 95, which I think is probably the more likely scenario. I don't think we're going to see a return to the the guy that was able to dial up triple digits at the end of a game like he was so anecdotally famously doing for all those years. So I think the, the sort of the, the next question becomes, is Justin Verlander going to be able to make some adjustments at this point to his arsenal and his approach to improve the outcomes on 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 what the, on the on the repertoire that he has now to throw. It's an interesting question for any pitcher who's aging, but uh, Justin Verlander's not that old. Uh, is it uh, in your experience? Have you seen pitchers who pitch like Verlander? Uh, very high pitch counts, very high velocity late in games. That their decline once it starts is more rapid or more dramatic than pitchers who age perhaps more gently because they don't work so hard in the prime of their life? Not sure. Now, the thing with Verlander we have to keep in mind is not only did he throw all those pitches during the regular season, he threw a ton of pitches in the playoffs. Detroit has has gone fairly deep into the playoffs a lot in the past five years. Add all those pitchers, pitches, not only that, they're you know, they're, this is the playoffs. They're more, they're here, they're facing better teams. They're more intense. They're going to, he's going to the games later, all that sort of thing. So it's not just the regular season. It's all those playoffs. And you got to figure it's later in the year. All the innings have been already on his arm. It's already taxed and now he's throwing more innings. So I think it's just a matter. Not only is he getting on a little bit, but he has a, he has a much higher workload than do. A lot of other, you know, pitchers like that. I think the name that comes to mind is Nolan Ryan, and we, we, you know, we love Nolan Ryan. What a career! But I sometimes think we forget that if Nolan Ryan were around now, Twitter would be a buzz about how that he isn't really all that great a pitcher. Uh, you know, he throws a yeah, he throws a fastball, he strikes a lot of guys out. He had nine no hitters. Well, he got lucky nine days. Look at all the walks. Look at all this. Look at all that. So I think you know to say well, you know, we hear it all the time. Well, Nolan Ryan did it. Nowadays, that might not be such a good thing to compare him against if you're if you're comparing him in the sabermetric world, anyway. Uh, so I I think that has the he we're not going to see the old Justin Verlander where he's able to dig down and start the first and second inning, getting guys out at 92, and by the end of the game being able to dial it up to 96 or seven and just put put people away. Uh, is he going to be able to make the adjustments at, with lower? I, th- I think he's going to get better. I don't know how better people. One of the comments in the column was he's a cer- in the in the in the sorry in the the forums is how cerebral he is. I think I think it's true, but he knew exactly what he needed to do with his old arsenal. I think he needs to. 
he might need he might know what he needs to do with the new arsenal now it's a matter of execution he's i don't he he needs to pinpoint his control his control has to get better he's inducing more uh more foul balls than he did previously which are leading to more ball or fewer foul balls i'm sorry more balls being put into play he needs to be able to wait to not have the foul ball anymore but just completely miss uh people talk about the change up and the and the fastball being similarly different in, in miles per hour, and they are, but when you're throwing three or four miles per hour slower, you're able to you can you can sit on one or the other and still catch up to the other. Whereas if you're if you're throwing 96, you pretty much have to be sitting dead red if you want to be able to hit it. You can't be sitting try, change up and then catch up to the fastball. Whereas if you're throwing a little bit slower. You can look, you can look change up a little bit and still get the fastball if it's not coming in quite as fast. So I think it's more than just a difference in, in, in velocity. He needs to figure out a way to either pinpoint his control or, or as Steven mentioned, develop a new pitch, uh, to, to better be able to get batters out in, in more efficiently, not throwing as fast. Bottom line, Ned, do you think he's a buy low candidate? I think he's a buy low candidate, but not a sure thing. I think if you're true, if you're if you're desperate, I think you know the, the the possibility is there. But it's to me, it's not a sure thing. You can't point at the numbers, at least in your head, without telling your trading partner this and saying, "I know it's going to happen." You have to sort of say to yourself, "Well, the possibility exists that that it's going to happen, and what I've got isn't going to make it work." So, like you know, if it does it, if it happens, great. If it doesn't. Well, it wasn't going to win anyway, so I think there is some risk involved, but that might lower the price. So that 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 that, that is that's a good thing, but you know when you're taking your chances, like I said, it's not a sure, it's not a sure thing that it's going to happen. I think he's going to get better. I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I think there's going to be uh, an improvement. And I think lost in the numbers is he's actually pitched. Well, it actually, it's recently caught up. His ERA has actually caught up to his skills. But his, it could be even worse. His home run rate is a little bit on the lucky side. The, the, an argument can be made that he's not a four pitcher. At this point, he's a 4.5 pitcher, which makes things even worse. So I think that there is better days ahead, but where he lands, I think, isn't going to be quite as good even as I know it's not going to be the the Cy Young Award winner, but the landing point might even be a little bit worse than what some people might think. There's something definitely going on there, and uh, yeah, he's by low, but it's 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 more out of desperation than out of hope. And meanwhile, of course, the Tigers are also looking at Max Scherzer all of a sudden not looking at all like a Cy Young winner. We'll save that conversation for another day, maybe give him another few starts to see if whatever's bothering him sorts itself out. Uh, I did want to talk to you, Todd. We've been talking for the last, uh, well, for this whole show and the show before about all the injuries that are taking place in Major League Baseball, and um, everybody's got an opinion about why this is going on, and uh, that's not what I want to talk about. What I do want to talk about, though, is as the injuries mount up, we're starting to see prospects being called up. In some instances, you might be able to argue before they're do, uh, for want of a better term. And uh, Ruganet Odor strikes me as an example. They had to call him up from AA because they just had to find somebody to fill that spot with Profar out for the year. And 
I'm wondering when you look at all of these prospects flooding into Major League Baseball, some of them seemingly ahead of time, how do you assess whether a prospect is going to be able to help your team in the here and now? I basically start, I actually start sort of on the negative side, and I don't want to say assume they're not going to, but it, it, it takes a very special prospect to, to help you. Look at, well, you know, George Springer has actually been one of the better players in baseball, let alone rookies, the past month. It took him a little while to get going, but with his strikeout rate, you know, he could have a, a horrible June, and he's, he's right back to middle of the pack again. Sometimes, you know, don't look at George Springer and say, my rookie's going to do that. Uh, it's almost like we talked about with Verlander, that your level of desperation might feed into whether or not you need to make a strong, aggressive play for one of these kids coming up, because sometimes opportunity trumps everything else. If they're getting the, if, if Tommy Lastella is getting the playing time and you have a, a part timer in there, you may just have to go with Lastella just because he's getting at bats and your guy isn't or he's a platoon player or something like that, as opposed to looking to his minor league numbers and saying, Oh boy, uh, you know, he's, he's, he, I, I can put him in there. He's going to help me. So I think there's a little bit of that involved as well as in, is, is opportunity, but. You know, what I look at is sort of the basics. I look at how well new hitters can handle the strike zone, how well they walk, how well they strike out, or how, how few times they strike out. It doesn't always translate, but it's, it's where I, it's where I begin anyway. And then I think we've talked about ourselves uh, over in the past, especially when you're dealing with minor league players, is you got to keep in mind where they're coming from. I think we, we talked about it specifically with Wilmer Flores. Because Las Vegas is such a great hitting environment that you can't look at the power numbers in a vacuum. You have to realize where the player has played his minor league games and temper expectations in one of the one of the minor league band boxes. And there's also some minor league parks that are just plain huge. That the only way you can hit a home run is if you if it's an inside the parker. It seems like the old softball days. Uh, so you have to know where the player is playing uh, as well as look at his plate discipline stats and and then it's just a matter like I said it, it's a combination of desperation and and other choices in a uh, in a deep AL or NL only league especially because the crossover players are so few and far between this might be the time to to take a chance and and go out and, and increase your 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 batch your plate appearances to try to make up some lost ground you know in a mixed league if I'm competing I'm going to let somebody else take Listella. I'm going to let someone else take a shot at Ruby De La Rosa, who's coming up for the Red Sox in a, in a couple of days. And I'm, you know, I'm going to try to stream in a starter who's, whose stats I understand a little bit more so I have a better idea of what I'm going to get. I guess you're right that it, a lot of it depends on your team context. We've talked about this before, but boy, it's a question of how much lightning you need and how much risk there is of trying to catch it in a bottle versus uh, if you're sitting at the top of the standings, you just have to let somebody else take that chance and play play from the front like you're winning the league. Right, and then there's, it, it, it's so easy to say, you know, we both all the time see in here on Twitter, oh, just, just trade this and make that trade. It, You know, I think the leagues we play in, we may be a little disillusioned because it's a little bit harder to do this sort of thing, but... Leagues are out there. If if a guy comes up, if a prospect comes up and has a good couple of games, there's going to be those guys in the league that just love those shiny new toys. You know, put them out there. You know, you got them because you have a better waiver priority or happen to get lucky in fab. 
well, you know, there's people out there that, that probably want him more than you do, so put him on a block. Tommy Listella had a three-hit game, you know, the next day. Um, you know, I got Listella because I had the waiver, so I put it in for him. I really, you know, I, I've got a couple of middle infielders, you know, who's interested in, in a new full-time middle infielder. You never know what you can get out there for people that, that are, uh, you know, that just have, you know, want to be the first one on the block to own the, 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 the newest toy. Yeah. And, and it's also possible, of course, in a lot of leagues that you could have acquired Tommy Lestello or somebody like him in the farm draft years earlier. And all of a sudden you realize this is a chance, as you say, there's, there are a lot of fantasy owners who put a premium on acquiring and retaining young prospects, even sometimes at the expense of established players, much to their chagrin. I know guys in leagues who traded Mike Trout from their farm roster because they got a couple of, you know, established middle of the road veterans in exchange and most of them are wishing they hadn't but a lot of guys it makes sense well i when yeah i I traded mike trout in the xfl and yeah sure i wish i hadn't but you know i i needed to do it at the time to make a to make a run for the title and you know that's a a topic for another day but um yeah sure yeah but i think the, the the larger point though is sure there are a lot of leagues now that do have minor league uh farm and i think a player once he's called up and playing has far greater trade potential, trade value than if he's sitting on your bench. I mean, you can, you know, Mikel Franco. We we talk about, you know, he's now not at least in theory not not coming up for even longer now. So do you trade him now when he's on your bench? Just some who's going to want to acquire him. But the day he comes up, oh boy, his value just jumps through the roof. So sure, I think that that's a great way to to sit on to sit on your farm players, and when they do get called up. It's almost you want to trade them before they get exposed. Uh, of course, you, you might get burned, and, and they might go on to, to play very well. But for every George Springer, you have to remember there's eight or nine fellas that just didn't get it done. I mean, how high were we on, on, on Brad Miller coming into the year? And now, you know, what's he doing? There's a lot of these players that, that you know, short sample, one reason or another, have a great couple months. Look what Brett Lowry did, uh, you know, when he first came up. And sure, injuries have, have curtailed him a little bit, but he still doesn't look anywhere near the player that he did for that cup of coffee in Toronto a couple of years ago. Yeah, every guy in every league has a story about uh, a, a young prospect who came up with uh, either all the hype in general and just flopped or came up and uh, had a couple of uh, weeks or a couple, maybe a month of good results before the league figured him out. It's an adaptive uh, sport, and once a guy gets figured out, he becomes fresh meat and, and not as productive as he has been. Todd, what do you got going on online uh, that people can go and check out? Well, uh, I just posted an article for, for Baseball HQ on, on some things you can do to assess your team uh, at the two month, at the two months point of the season, we're we're at a point where it's not it, it's not early anymore, but uh, still a whole lot can happen. Uh, as you know, as a sort of a little bit of a tease, just take a look at the Major League Baseball standings and ask yourself: Is that really how the playoff? Is that really how it's going to look in September? And if if you feel there's movement in the Major League Baseball standings, and I think there's going to be. Well, that means that the players on those teams had to play differently, and that's just going to filter on down to your rotisserie league. So I still think there's a lot of transient 
you know, categories and that sort of thing where movement can be had. And then look at your own standings and take a look at the ERA and the whip and the batting average and compare those to historical high and low. And I think you'll find that your, your whip and ERAs are better now after two months than they will at the end of the season, which again means there's going to be some movement. It just puts you in the frame of mind that, yeah, if I make the effort, if I put the effort into it, I can still make a difference my team you know can i can still make my team better so i think that's sort of we did that and then we just talked about some some ways to go about doing it uh going to continue on with fantasy alarm a little bit more on the uh on the daily game and home away and then that sort of thing and uh actually i know i'm going to be doing the daily notes for espn so if on the weekends if you're looking for pitchers to start to stream i'll be the one that'll be helping out and this is for the uh, for the free for the free fantasy. It'll be my notes that that, that we're going to be using to uh, to decide on pitcher matchups over the weekend. So that's something uh, actually taking over for our friend Jason Collette in that regard. Uh, so uh, just nice to be doing a little bit more work in that area. Always interesting to read Todd Zola. Always interesting to talk with Todd Zola. Todd, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again next week. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, ChandlerPark.com, ESPN. Uh, this guy's all over the place and well worth finding. He appears every Friday here on Baseball HQ Radio. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are next. Stay with us for pitcher matchups and master notes. It's Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. Time for our regular Friday HQ commentaries. We have Ron Chandler on deck with Master Notes, and we lead off the inning with our matchup segment. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup tool ratings look at every starting pitcher matchup by pitcher skills and recent performance as well as the strength of the opposing team. And we arrive at a matchup rating from plus 5 to minus 5. Recommended pitchers have matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher, while we warn you about pitchers with ratings of 0 or worse. Everything in between? Well, that's a risk versus benefit play you'll have to look at on your own. Now looking at a matchup of top right-handers San Francisco's Matt Cain visiting the Cardinals' Michael Waka and two southpaws facing up, the Mets' John Neese at the Phillies' Cole Hamels, Here's Greg Fishwick. This weekend, there is a different storyline for each league in the pitcher matchups tool at BaseballHQ.com. For the American League, it's close encounters of the risk-reward kind. For the National League, it's oh, how the mighty have fallen. In the American League on Saturday, two evenly matched lefties face off when the Angels visit the Athletics at Oco Coliseum. The A's' Tom Malone is happy to be home. In his past three starts there, he owns nothing but PQS 5s. 
In 26 and two-thirds home innings this year, Malone's ERA is a minuscule 135. His matchup rating for this encounter is 190. And Tyler Skaggs is not far behind for the Angels. His matchup rating is 182. Skaggs excels on the road. In 30 innings away from home this year, Skaggs has an ERA of only 180. His most recent road start resulted in a PQS 5, and his three road starts before that were all PQS 4s. It should be a close one, and either of these risks could yield a nice reward. On Sunday in the American League, there is a toss-up between two soft tossers. Mark Burley is at home for Toronto against Jeremy Guthrie of the Royals. We often say don't chase wins, but Burley has nine of them, and every other pitcher is chasing him in that category. His matchup rating is only 097, but it's hard to bet against Burley. Guthrie has the higher matchup rating at 121, and Burley has been blessed with a strand rate of 81%. Plus, his expected ERA exceeds his actual ERA by nearly two runs. So when will Burley run out of luck? Probably not at home, where the Blue Jays are five games above 500, and probably not against Guthrie, who struggled on the road all of last year. We may not have said it, but no doubt you've heard others say, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. They also say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And oh, how the Giants' mighty Matt Cain has fallen in 2014. He limps into St. Louis this Saturday, coming off a hamstring strain and carrying a matchup rating of minus 007. But even James Bond couldn't save Kane from the Cardinals. They'll send out Michael Walker with a matchup rating of 242. Avoid Kane if you're able. And in the National League on Sunday, the Phillies' Cole Hamels is at home to face the Mets with a matchup rating of exactly zero. John Neese starts for the Mets and boasts a matchup rating of 254. Against the Phils in New York this year, he had a PQS 4. And against them in Philly, he had a PQS 5. But Hamels had a PQS 5 against the Mets in New York four starts ago. And he's followed that with two more PQS 5s and then a PQS 4. So why isn't this matchup more even? The problem is run support for Hamels. Only the Astros and Diamondbacks have worse run differentials than the Phillies. Hamels won't get the help he needs in this one, so steer clear of him if you can. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. If your league rules or your format let you take advantage of pitcher streaming, then you need to check out the daily matchup reports at BaseballHQ.com, as well as the exclusive Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups tool, only at the BaseballHQ.com website. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball. With a look at how stable the current $40 earners are, here's BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler. There are only four players still currently earning $40 or more. Troy Tulowitzki, Giancarlo Stanton, Johnny Cueto, and Adam Wainwright. This is an interesting group. How stable would you consider these guys? If another owner in your league offered you Tulo and Cueto in a deal and you had to give up somewhat comparable value, would you bite? Consider how we viewed these players coming into the season. Tulowitzki was a first-rounder, but he was always a risky pick. He hasn't seen 500 at-bats in the season since 2011. Over the past five years, he's lost nearly 200 games to the disabled list from a variety of injuries. Fractured wrist, strained groin, fractured rib... Stanton was a first-rounder last year, but dropped to late second round this spring. 
He also hasn't seen 500 at-bats in the season since 2011, and has missed an average of 35 games each of the last two years. Cueto didn't typically go until the 12th round this spring, thanks to missing 130 games last year. He may be a great pitcher, but he's managed 200 innings only once in his six-year career. These first three $40 players hold a unique distinction given their current earnings. None of them have ever finished a season in the top 15. None of them have ever earned first-round value. Wainwright is only a little different. He has been a high earner before, ranking 8th among all players back in 2010. But he's not exactly a low-risk player either. Since coming back from Tommy John surgery in 2012, he's yet to string together two halves of comparable rotisserie performance. Granted, his skill seems stellar, but the last four half-seasons have produced roto earnings of $4, and $19. This year's early surge looks eerily similar to last year when his ERA spiked by a run and a half in the second half. Still, maybe Wainwright is the safest of the four. But let's go back to that trade offer on the table. Would you give up $70 to $80 worth of value to get Tulo and Cueto? Would you give up $60 of value? I would think that the longer we get into the season, the higher the likelihood that something is going to break down. Back in March, I advised the monthly game players that Tulo was a great pick because the odds were good that he'd at least make it through April. Now he's made it through two months. Are we playing with fire if we still ride him? And this season looks remarkably similar to last year. He currently has 14 homers and is batting over 370 and 166 at-bats. At the end of May last year, he had 12 homers, was batting 337 and 178 at-bats. Then, he barely got 100 at-bats over the next two months and bottomed out at a 228 batting average in July. Over the last three years, he's hit 31 home runs in April and May and 32 home runs in June, July, August, and September. Frankly, as much as his stat line looks amazing right now, I could not bring myself to trade for him if I had to give up anywhere near comparable value. Every day that passes increases the risk of some type of breakdown. We knew it back in March, otherwise he'd have been drafted right alongside Miggy and Trout. And we have to know it now. We can't assume his current value will last for another four months. But what if you only had to hold on to him for one month? What if you traded for him now, knowing that you would deal him away before the All-Star break? Would you make that deal? What if you traded $38 worth of value now to get his $42 worth of value just for a month? In leagues with active trading, you can actually build a championship around these incremental profits. It often works that way in the daily games and in the monthly leagues too. Tulowitzki has a salary of $38 for the June leagues at ChandlerPark.com. The other three $40 players are even better buys. Stanton's salary is 33, Cueto's is 32, and the player arguably the least risky of the group, Wainwright, has a salary of just $29. Category is a little different than standard 5x5, but you can still see the opportunities.
The monthly game gives you the chance to manage risk better while still seeking out profit. Uh, but for someone who tends to be really risk-averse like me, I'd have to think long and hard about rostering any of these four on my teams. It's still too much salary to tie up in risk. Well, we'll see. The deadline for June Leagues is a Sunday, June 1st at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler of BaseballHQ.com. Ron Chandler is the founder of BaseballHQ.com and a member of the Masternotes rotation here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Masternotes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for May the 30th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 38 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd correspondent, as always, was Todd Zola. Our HQ matchups commentator, analyst Greg Fishwick. And our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also remember you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. But more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four days with our Tuesday Tout edition featuring the senior fantasy editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Steve Gardner joins us on the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.